You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Club Cricket Podcast in association with NatWest. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the editor-in-chief of the Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine, Phil Walker. How's it going, Phil? Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's pretty much as it was last time around, mate. We're, we're, we're just rolling along as best we can, trying to make sense of the madness. Yourself? Yeah, good. I'm actually, I'm actually really excited because I'm going for my first net today. Um, slightly concerned about how my shoulder will fare, but aren't we all? Can we return the netting after a long time out of the game. So, How yeah. many others will be in the net with you at the time? Just one other. I'm following the rules. Thanks okay. for asking and thanks for checking. Um, anyway, listeners. Hold on, hold on. I've, I've, already, I've had a, a net myself. Oh, really? Uh, I had a net last week, yeah. How'd it uh, go? Uh, well, rusty, obviously. I think that goes without saying. Um, I, I was at a, at a park in East London and there was, there was a small collection of, of folks there um, and I joined in um, with a limited number of people, obviously. Uh, the one thing that struck me, um, I only bowl medium pace at best these days, although I'm a bit quicker than you through the air, I'd venture. And bowling without using saliva is very, very difficult. Bowl, gripping a cricket ball, you just automatically lick your fingers. Always have, always, always will. And I found that very, very difficult. You, you, you may or may not find it yourself tonight, but every time I had the ball, your instinct as you run into bowl or just as you set yourself is to just lick your finger, get that bit of grip on the ball, and then your fingers can do the rest. And obviously, uh, you cannot do that. You know, while the ICC and the ECB have split their opinions regarding sweat, they they're united regarding saliva. That's the big, big no-no. Um, I found that very difficult to bowl. I don't know if any of the England boys who are now practicing have, have made reference to any of that or if you've read that anywhere else, but it's, it's, it's not going to be easy peasy uh, just to play a game of cricket without using saliva um, because it's weirdly 
quite central yeah. uh, to, to, to getting your skills done on a Saturday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, I've not heard anyone talk about the, the grip aspect of, of putting saliva on a cricket ball. But, yeah. I, I, read, I read Mike Selby, obviously used to play for England Middlesex, Guardian cricket writer for many, many years. And he said on Twitter that that was always uh, his approach as a fast bowler and that he, he would find it hard to imagine how, how you could do it without the use of saliva. And I didn't really register it at the time until I found myself in a net last weekend. Um, and I found it very tricky. Uh, anyway, it was, there is no shift on that one. Uh, so people will have to find a way around it. Uh, I know that you have this interview set up, um, which may be able to sh shine a little light on how they've managed to get cricket up and running again in Guernsey. Um, but yeah, it's a different story over, over on the mainland. At the moment. Yeah, yeah, listeners, you might have seen over the weekend that cricket has made a return on the British Isles. In Guernsey, the Andy Cornford 11 took on the Ollie Tap 11 in a friendly game, the whole load of social distancing measures in play. The match has almost 100,000 views on YouTube over the last few days, and you might have seen a clip of a sensational diving catch by a guy fielding a backward square leg that's gone about as viral as a cricket video from Guernsey can go. Anyway, I spoke to Mark Latter, the chairman of the Guernsey Cricket Board, about how they managed to put the game on earlier today. First of all, it's worth noting that Guernsey is at a very different stage of its handling of coronavirus to the rest of the British Isles. Mark, can you first briefly explain where general social distancing measures are at the moment in Guernsey? Uh, yeah, so we've basically reached uh, phase four of six, which uh, public health have uh, worked through with the states of Guernsey. Six is effectively that horrible word, new normal. So that's that part of wherever we're at. Five would be effectively where social distancing um, conventions would pretty much be out, although I suspect everybody will adopt them anyway, naturally. Um, so four basically means that a lot more of the businesses have been able to open. Uh, restaurants can open, serve food and drink together. As of today, they can now serve drink only, but at uh, table service. Um, hairdressers are open, which I know has been a big relief for a hell of a lot of people. I went into town yesterday and the only thing that was open was hairdressers, not pubs, which is very unusual in Guernsey. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, it's changed up. And then sports, um, a lot of sports, non-contact sports, have been able to start doing something, working through again with public health. So it's starting to get a little bit more like it used to be. Interesting from that is I don't think it's actually that far away from what it's like in England at the moment, maybe only a few weeks away. Um, and people for a long time were thinking that it would be totally implausible playing club cricket at any stage this, this summer. When did you guys first start targeting the weekend just gone by as the returning point for cricket on the island? I mean, to be honest, we started planning a way out of it pretty much on the day we were locked down. Um, at the very beginning, we engaged with our sports commission who were very um, uh, effective in trying to get, when working with sports on the island. Um, new guy there, Steve Sharman who's been very aggressive in trying to make sport on the front foot in terms of Guernsey and the government. And I think very much from the very beginning, we wanted to use the unfortunate circumstances that we've come into as a demonstration that sport could get its um, eggs lined up and get itself properly looked at as a, on a proper footing. So from the very beginning, we started to think, well, how are we going to start again and what will people need? And that was straight up engaging um, with them and asking them those very questions and then going away and looking at the sport and seeing how we could play it. And I think compared to say football and rugby are big competitors in the island and, and anywhere for, for those three sports. Um, we knew we had some differences that we could major on in terms of cricket, you know, and it's sort of virtually social distance anyway, um, especially when you're coming away from the top end international cricket. So um, 
we, we thought we had a good chance. We looked at training programs and thought, okay, what's the first step? One-to-one training. That's a natural cricket um, activity. And then it was just really building a picture from there. And then as we started looking around the world and um, looked at the Institute of Australia and various places had done work on this, we started sort of looking at how those documents were put together, how they could be applied here, started drawing up our own paperwork um, and getting that into public health's mind. And, and we had that engaged conversation and ultimately it was, we adopted the final rules of how we would come out across each phase, linked to the social distancing changes on the island. And finally um, said, look, let's give it a go and see if it does actually physically work. Because it's all very well on, you know, on paper, but it's actually on grass where it's going to be the real test. And we were given that okay, and Saturday was the outcome. What precautionary measures were put in place, as well as the obvious, like not putting saliva on the ball, that made the game different to a normal game of cricket that would have taken place last summer, for instance? Yeah, so one of the things I think was key was that if we were going to come back, we wanted cricket to look like cricket. We didn't want it to be sort of totally changed. Um, I find it a little bit perverse that you've got, like with the German Bundesliga, you've got the subs all sort of five or six yards away from each other, and on the pitch they can go crashing into each other and mark each other at corners. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. So we wanted to really try and keep it as similar as possible. And I think um, initially we put in document which was probably more cautious than it needed to be, but we were trying to get the yes, so we over-egged it. So we were looking at a, a new ball from each end because the ball was the main issue. It was the bit that everybody would come into contact with. I mean, there are occasions on cricket pitches where you don't come anywhere near five or six of, the op- of your players, and let alone any of the opposition. So um, it, the ball was the issue. And we'd had the ICC documentation um, that had shown that their medical guys had looked at it and saliva was the big no-no, but sweat wasn't considered to be the, the bigger issue. So we figured that, you know, and it's a hard surface compared to, say, soft um, surfaces or cardboard packages and other things that people looked at. So we kind of figured that, we're okay, we, we, we can deal with that. And, and that was put one of the big things we put with the public health. So we offered the opportunity for umpires to wear gloves. We had a lot of hand sanitizer and cleaning so that the ball could be wiped um, regularly. So say the two balls from either end. Um, the players all turned up ready to go. There was no use of changing rooms, lots of hand sanitizer and cleanliness stuff, no sharing of kit, um, no uh, sunglasses, caps, etc. being given to the umpire. They had to manage their own stuff. Um, and as you saw, we've uh, developed the new air high five where you don't actually able to uh, <laughs> make contact to no handshakes. And, and of course, you know, there's going to be occasions when you forget because if you play for one year or 20 years, you're naturally going to jump in and pat someone on the back or do whatever you're going to do. So there was occasional blips. Um, but I think that's accepted. But all of that, of course, is against the background of no cases for 31 days and no active cases on the island, which is a lot easier place to be making those decisions than in the UK or elsewhere. Hmm. Um, how, how did the players feel about the changes? Because as you say, they've been used to high-fiving, etc. after every wicket. How did it, did it feel normal quite quickly? What was the, what was the feedback from players at the end of the game? Um, they enjoyed it. I mean, they were just keen to play cricket. I mean, like any, everybody who loves cricket, watching or playing, um, there's no substitute for the actual game. You can do as much nets and everything else as you like in any normal year until you get out on the pitch, then it's, it's not the same. So I think they were you know, happy to do anything to get on the pitch. And the high fives thing came from them, actually. They, they, that was something they almost made spontaneously and it carried through. So that was good to see. And they're obviously now banging on my door asking when's the next one. So I think, you know, from that perspective, we've done okay. But I think we want to just check now back with public health and look at what we're doing and make sure that we're, we're on the right track and not just thinking, okay, we haven't got any cases, we can do what we like. We still have to be careful, obviously. Was there any opposition, both from people not within cricket and Guernsey, but also some of the players maybe thinking it was too early or they didn't feel that it was totally safe? 
No, not really. I mean, I think the island's done. Re- reason we're in the position we are is that from the very beginning, when lockdown happened, everybody locked down. And being 26 and a half square miles, you know, you see everybody and see anybody who's is stepping out of order. So I think it was very self-policed at the outset. And I think, you know, coming forward now to where we are, um, people have seen that it's the right and proper time to start looking at different areas. I mean, we've had some air issues with people on the beaches and other stuff like that, especially with the fine weather. But again, I think generally the spirit has always been maintained. And I think you know, everybody sort of looked and saw it was right. I mean, on the same Saturday that we played our game, um, the Guernsey Velo Club started some time-style sprints out on the road. So they've started out and things like petonk and bowls and tennis and golf have also started playing. So, you know, it's it's not like we're unique in terms of sport. We're all coming gradually out of hibernation. Um, and it's just a question of showing that you can do what you do. And if I, I think if you don't engage, um, we've found that you then you fall behind the um, curve. If you're not up front and centre saying, look, here's my sport, here's what I can do. Um, let's let us do it, but in a safe, confined environment, then nobody will come to you and do that job for you. How much of an opportunity are you guys viewing this in terms of basically being the first people worldwide to be playing cricket? Over, n- not quite over, but nearly 100,000 views on YouTube from the game on Saturday. That, that's absolutely amazing. So how much of an opportunity are you viewing this? Um, we're not getting too carried away. I mean, we appreciate that. Obviously, we've got this moment in the sunshine when no one else is about. When you know everybody, the big boys and everybody else will start playing cricket again, you know, I can't see Guernsey cricket um, sort of knocking the IPL off its soul and taking over from that or anything like that. It'd be nice to think so. So we understand. But I think what we can see is, is in the long term is that a lot more people know that we exist. We've got great facilities, a great island, good setup. Um, within the ICC, we play the T20Is now. Um, the conversations that we've had with anybody from ECB to other associate members and full members about what we could do here in effectively our own COVID-free biosphere as, is, is conversations that hopefully we can run for in the future. We're looking to set up a sort of um, bespoke uh, streaming plug-and-play sort of ground with, with uh, input fibre optic and um, more preset cameras. So not only for our own cricket to show it, um, but also for other people coming across to be able to come and play and show their wares. Because I think the live streaming thing has shown us, um, you know, there's some great opportunities out there on it. But we don't expect the same sort of hit levels in the future. We're realistic. But I think, you know, whilst we can get everybody make aware of what we're up to and what we do, um, we'll take advantage of that now. What's the plan for the rest of the summer then? So both within Guernsey cricket, but also you've now shown that you can hold a game of cricket. So one of the barriers for domestic cricket in England returning is that the cost of testing, for example, is, is a lot. Biosecure venues are very, very expensive. Would you guys be open potentially to the idea of hosting county cricket on Guernsey? Yeah, definitely. We've got a very long-standing relationship with Sussex. Um, I sent some information over to Rob and the guys there. So, you know, if there was possibility of something, we do have um, one of the reasons that we've also been successful in, in uh, eliminating, as far as today is concerned, you know, COVID on the island, is that we cut the book, shut the borders down very quickly. So the planes and boats, um, you know, they've only got one real emergency flight now out of the island through to Southampton. And if you come into the island, it's 14 days uh, isolation, break that and you get a £10,000 fine. So they're not mucking around with it. But we know that if we um, were working with a sports group, we've got huge medical records and testing records and all sorts of stuff you'd expect in a professional sports group. Then working with our states and public health, we do have the possibility of um, managing that in terms of a secure environment, the players training within that, still isolating to a certain extent and then playing at the back end of a, a 7, 10 day, whatever it might be. Uh, window so it's it's definitely feasible and something we've floated um 
because of course you know who knows what's around the corner as well we're sort of coming out now but something hopefully won't but something could come around and we're back to stage one again and we might still be um sitting pretty so we, again it's, it's it's the offers are there we've got the environment we've got the facility we'll see what happens and in terms of guernsey cricket this summer is there hope to have some sort of a league season so yeah so the 29th of june i think it was would have been effectively the second round of our evening league cricket which is sort of 16 20 overs depending on what light we can get in um so there's three divisions of that so as it stands we're looking to hopefully play that second round of games pretty much exactly as scheduled um, so that's what we're working to at the moment then our weekend cricket longer form um, will fit in within that it might be that we have to play it as t20 with two games a day rather than 40 over cricket um, to get that in um, and then we're looking at some 50 over cricket with our sides that would normally play against the clubs in jersey in the channel island league um, but at the moment um, we're not sort of as we use it this new term here bubble which is your house and then guernsey as a whole bubble but we're not talking at the moment to, we don't usually talk to jersey there's a lot of rivalry between the two of us but uh, at the moment we're not doing so on medical advice which is okay Phil, there's a lot in there. I thought, thought that their efforts to ensure the game took place safely was A, commendable, B, very thorough. So just to recap the, the measures they, they implemented, umpires were given the option of wearing gloves. There were two balls used in each innings. Balls were regularly wiped. There was a hand, hand sanitizer available for players at all time. Players weren't allowed to use changing rooms. Bowlers weren't allowed to give their jumpers or caps or sunglasses to the umpires. And they weren't allowed to high-five each other or shake each other's hands at any time. They've, they've set a pretty impressive example of how it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was an excellent interview. Um, and you bang on. It shows what's, what's capable um, with a little bit of imagination and various things to take from it. But there was one point that I thought he made very well, that you have to be proactive. You have to be on the front foot. Um, you have to be making the case for your game because... If you're not, as he said, I think if you're not up front and centre stage saying this is my sport and this is how we can overcome this crazy time and get the game back on again, if you're not doing that, then no one is going to come to you. No one's going to come to your door. So huge, huge props for the, the, the creativity um, that's, 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 that's gone, gone into this uh, to getting the game back on. It, it echoes what quite a few people have been imagining, you, you know, this notion of, um, is it possible to, to socially distance physically in a game of cricket? Well, it seems like you can. You can pull that off broadly. Uh, the, two, the two balls thing is an interesting idea. I hadn't registered that before, but I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, f massively fair play. But obviously, the enormous caveat is that, as he said, no cases for 31 days and no active cases on the island. Uh, so... In that environment, faced with those numbers and that positivity, then of course you can you can approach a, a, a game of cricket in the age of Corona with a degree of confidence that you're going to be able to pull it off, um, and then you exploit the natural social distance anyway that's attached to a game of cricket. You exploit that and make a virtue of it. But you can only really do that with any authority, any moral authority, if, as he says, you haven't had a case for a few weeks anyway. Sadly, yeah. that's not the case over here. You're, you're right, but cricket in whatever country you're playing it can only react to what the government measures are. So, yeah, in terms of raw numbers, there aren't any active cases in Guernsey. There are loads in the UK. But in terms of the social distancing measures in place in Guernsey, 
in normal day-to-day life, it's not actually that far ahead of what the UK is as of today, Monday, with allowing to see people up to groups of six outside. He made the point, I think just before we, we hit record, was that you don't actually need 22 people for a game of cricket, really. You only actually have 15 people on a pitch at one time. Some of the people on the pitch are miles away from other people. And with the exception of the slips, basically, you don't have people anywhere near each other. So I think, yeah, you're right. I don't think we're very close to this happening in the UK. But it does show that it is possible if the guidelines don't change by an awful lot. But then I guess the onus would then be onto the ECB, whether they are comfortable allowing people to play the game. Because we've seen already in this country that uh, sporting governing bodies have taken matters into their own hands. The Premier League called off the Premier League before the government said they had to. So that's an entirely possible scenario where the ECB don't let cricket happen what the government have theoretically made it possible. Yeah. Um, and as we spoke on the show the other, the other week as well, the, the, the risks of playing a game, a, a non-contact sport game outdoors are pretty minimal. Um, and we quoted the virologist who, who'd been quoted in Wisdom Cricket Monthly uh, that this month that, you know, the, the, the chances of the, of the virus running through, through a game of cricket are very, very low. But cricket is not just that, you know, dispersing it outdoors is one thing, but cricket is, recreational cricket is many, many other layers as well. Now, sure, it's not beyond the wit of man to assume that you can put these checks and balances in place around the edges of the game regarding use of dressing rooms, getting to the game, not sharing any kit, bringing your own food and drink, etc., 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 and the story from Guernsey is a positive one because it shows that with a bit of wit and a bit of imagination, you can get round around these issues up to a point. Um, but, and I've gone round, round and round the block on this one uh, because I miss the game like mad. I really do. Uh, but as of, as of now, looking again at the numbers, and this is an inescapably political issue now, and it filters all the way down to our own, our own little corners of, of British life. I look at the numbers, 8,000 new recorded cases yesterday, 324 deaths, right? Four times as many as anywhere else in Europe. As of the end of last week, we were the highest death rate in the world. Talking about getting a game of cricket on seems bizarrely small and unnecessarily dangerous for me at this moment. And as I say, I've gone back and forth and back and forth on it very much. But I feel like what's happened over the last two weeks two or three weeks where people's resolve and people's belief in how this issue has been handled has been weakened undoubtedly into that. I want to see cricket be cautious. I want to see cricket erring on the side of over caution. If cricket in the end almost imposes its own set of cautious guidelines, even irrespective of the government's perspective, then I'm comfortable with that. I want the game to, to represent that really. Um, uh, it may be a different story again and there may be a kind of a more optimistic viewpoint in two weeks in three weeks but it personally and as I say this is it becomes a personal issue in the end that it's it's ineradicable from politics personally I look at it and as I say I've been around the block a number of times but I look at it and I think I don't I don't want cricket to fall into the trap of trying to run before it can walk of trying to push itself into a position where it may become part of the problem rather than one of the solutions. Um, 
some days look I think we all feel it some days we wake up and we look outside and we think okay there's a spring in my step and I feel confident about moving forward and getting the wheels in motion again but then you you watch another briefing through the gaps in your fingers and you hear the next set of horrifying statistics and you think we're nowhere near we're nowhere near you know so I've gone round the block a thousand times on this I really have and I miss the game like mad I truly do uh, but I don't want cricket to fall into the trap uh, of, of rushing itself out thinking it's a distinct case um, come the 1st of August which has been mooted penciled in as a potential start date possibly uh, that's two months away. Some people, many people have said on the back of the UCB statement last week, well, this is far too overcautious. Well, it's not for me. It's not for me. I think it's necessary. I think in the current climate, with the cases still as, as they are, I think it's necessary and right for the UCB to adopt that perspective. Yeah, and I think the ECB have handled the whole situation really, really well. But many people would disagree with you, yes. Many people would disagree with you. Yeah, I understand that. But I think the reason why the ECB are in such a good position at the moment, I know we're six weeks away, five weeks away potentially, from, from getting international cricket back has been because they have been very cautious. They, uh, they called off the start of the county season way before they had to. They called off the start of the international season way before they had to. Um, and I think planning for, not, not quite a worst case scenario, but planning for the situation not to improve drastically has actually meant that they've, been able to explore as many options and as many avenues as possible. But You're right. It's been necessarily ambiguous as well, their message, message on certain issues, especially around the recreational game. But I, I guess they don't really have any choice. You know, they are juggling a number of different options here. Um, there was something else in the statement last week, just briefly. Um, junior cricket was mentioned as distinct from uh, Saturday adult cricket, in inverted commas. Um, and the statement said, well, the line was that we're looking at the potential of, of an earlier return for junior cricket. Now, anyone who plays cricket and is involved in club cricket knows that for the first half of the summer, junior cricket is the key part of it. But then from the end of July, when the school holidays kick in, junior cricket ceases to, ex ceases to happen in almost all clubs through August. I don't think that August is going to be a normal August this time round somehow. So one of the things that hopefully they are addressing is how to maintain a large chunk of junior cricket from the, for the second half of the summer. In effect, treating the start of any potential cricket as the start of the season, as it would be late spring, early summer. Because if we're going to get any cricket at all, if we have one, one choice, one option, then it's undoubtedly to get the kids playing. Uh, and so I've, I'm cautiously optimistic that the ECB can actually see that one through. And whether we get you know, a bunch of gnarled adults like you and me on the pitch on a Saturday is one thing, but getting kids to play, getting kids to play 20 over games against each other, getting kids training twice a week, that is, that is absolutely essential. That is the most important thing, I think, of this summer when it comes to recreational cricket. Absolutely. Owen Morgan pretty much said as much last week. Um, I mean, you had the, the most ridiculous summer, the summer uh, everyone was dreaming of last year, and it actually happened, and it would have inspired a not whole generation, but huge numbers of young people to take up the game and in their first opportunity would have been to play the game would have been 2020 and it hasn't happened. So yeah, it is really important. And on that, I made the, made the point in the weekly show, I'm still quite optimistic about cricket's place in people's minds this summer. Um, bizarrely, if we do have international cricket return on July the 8th, there are no Euros, there's no Olympics this summer. 
yeah, the Premier League's coming back. That, that's only eight weeks worth of, of football. Cricket could be, for you know, considering we've got home series against Pakistan and West Indies, not, not A-list tourists, could be the, in the centre of people's minds of the British sport in summer. So that's reason to be optimistic. That is all true. Uh, just add in brackets how strange it will be to be watching games, literally nobody there. How strange it will be. It will be a, an, an odd viewer experience watching a five-day cricket match. Now, all right, you know, the, the jokers out there will say, well, that's what happens anyway around the world. But it will, be, it will be an interesting challenge to sell the game and make it look wonderful and sexy when there's literally nobody in the ground and you can hear the echoes of appeals around an empty amphitheatre. That said, look, at one point it looked like there was going to be no cricket at all. So roll on early July, which seems faintly surreal, but if nothing else, we will be having some form of cricket almost certainly. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, cheers, Phil. This has been the Wizzing Club Cricket Podcast in association with NatWest. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends, and if you're feeling especially kind, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app? Cheers. Podcast Network.